looking at the first 12 verses, we're now down to verses 10 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. The Lord, in um, giving the Sermon on the Mount, begins with these blessings, and He, he really shocks them right from the beginning because they are looking for a Messiah that is going to come in and set them free from the bondage that they're in. And he comes in and says, you are blessed if you have a a broken spirit, poor of spirit. You, You understand you're bankrupt before God and you are blessed when you learn to cry out to God and hunger and thirst after God. You are blessed when you give mercy, when you show forth mercy. And all these things that he's saying go completely contrary to the flesh. And he goes on and says, when you're pure in heart, when you are given to bringing peace, the the message of the gospel and bringing peace, And then he comes down and he wraps up this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 10 he said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Since the Garden of Eden, there has been persecution, and there will be persecution until Jesus Christ reigns. There has always been the battle that goes on between good and evil, between God and Satan. There have been more Christian conversions since 1800 than the previous 1800 years before that combined. There have also been more Christian martyrs since 1800 than the previous 1800 years before that. Persecution, Jesus is teaching, is a natural result of someone living out the characteristics that we've already looked at. Having a a poverty of spirit, and, and learning to be broken over sin and hungering and thirsting after righteousness and showing mercy. You'd think, wait a minute, if, if people show mercy, if they're peacemakers, why, why would that bring persecution? Now, it's very, very important that we understand in the midst of this where he said, blessed are they which are persecuted. Blessed are they which are reviled. He lays down two principles that must underline all this. And two principles that are, are kind of squeezed in here. You notice verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
Righteousness is doing what is right. And God gives two principles that we are to live by, and if it means die by it, then this is what we must do. Number one, we must always do what is right. They are persecuted for righteousness sake. They are persecuted for doing what is right. Most decisions in life are basically pretty simple. What is right and what is wrong. Now, you cannot do right, you cannot have righteousness until you have come to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. None of us have anything in and of ourselves that can produce righteousness. And we've seen in going through these Beatitudes that we must be broken over our own sin and hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. That God sent His Son into the world to pay the penalty for our sin so that His righteousness, the Bible says, would be imputed. That means put on our account. That His righteousness would be put on our account. So that, as we've said many times, that it is as though we lived Christ's life. And it is His righteousness that we receive. So we receive the forgiveness of sin. We receive Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And then we go about to do what is right. And when you do what is right, there may be times that you will be persecuted. Despite the move to remove right and wrong, there still is right and wrong. I don't care what you call sin. I don't care how you might think or others might think, hey, this is fine. In Christ, there is right, and there are things that are wrong. And he said, blessed are they which are persecuted for doing what is right. First Peter talks, he says, if you do evil, it shouldn't surprise you that you'd be persecuted. And the first principle that he lays down here is it must be persecuted for righteousness' sake. So a principle that we need to live by means I am committed to do what is right. Whether anyone notices, whether everyone notices. And do what is right. Throughout the Bible, we're exhorted over and over again. Proverbs 16:8. Better is a little with righteousness than it is to have great treasures without righteousness. So he's simply saying, if doing what is right means you're going to have a little, he said that is far better than violating the righteousness of God, doing what is wrong, even though it may produce treasures to you. 
God says we are better off doing right even if it kills us. And the Bible is full of examples of individuals that did what is right, and it did kill them. History is full of examples of that. The the disciples early in Acts said, when confronted with, um, you either stop preaching this Jesus Christ, or we're going to imprison you and then kill you. They didn't have to think long about it. They said, well, we ought to obey God rather than man. What they were saying is, we have to do what is right. And just because something is legal doesn't mean it is right. It is important for us to understand that, especially in the day that we're living in, There become a lot of things that are legal that are not right. But the point is, we must have a predetermined um, desire that by God's grace, God, I want you to show me what is right, and I am committed to doing what is right. We ought to obey God rather than man. Why? I'm going to answer to God. You are going to answer to God. You're not going to answer to other men. And God says, we're better off doing right, no matter how it ends. But then you notice, if you look at verse 11, he said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, and he adds, for my sake. The second principle that is foundational to this whole thing about persecution is, we must live for God's name. They were persecuted. They were spoken evil of for God's name's sake. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And notice verse 12. First Peter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now, keep in mind, Peter's writing this to a group of believers that um, are already experiencing persecution. They wonder how all this is going to end. And he's saying, now don't think it an unusual thing as though some strange thing is happening unto you, but rejoice, verse 13, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part... He is glorified, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ. Okay, 
They sought out to do what is right. But you know what? Sometimes we can do what is right, but we're doing it for ulterior motives. We're doing it for us. No, it's doing what is right for God's namesake. All decisions should be concerned with how it reflects upon God's name. We, probably the most familiar psalm of all, Psalm 23, it says that the Lord shepherds us and He leads us in the paths of righteousness. We like to think He leads me beside still waters. Oh, I love still waters. And green pastures. Oh, yeah. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. You notice both principles are right there. Doing what is right. For his name's sake. I fear that sometimes as Christians, we seek to do what is right for our name's sake. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. No. Everything in our life is all about God. It ought to be. Our name or our reputation does not matter. God worked in Moses' life in answer to some unique prayers because Moses came to God and said, God, what will the people think of you? Moses wasn't saying, what will they think of me? God, what will they think of you? It's living for God's name because God's name is eternal. Do you understand Our name is very, very temporary. I mean, 100 years from now, there probably will be no one that even breathes your name. I mean, think about it. 100 years from now, that... I didn't spend time thinking about this, but it's probably great-great-grandkids, okay? How many of you have recently talked about your great-great-grandfather? How many of you have done that? Okay. Three people, all right? And in thinking about that, your great-great-grandfather... What impact? They'll have an impact. We all have an impact. But you know what? Your name will not be remembered. We only went back great-great-grandfather. How many of you went have talked about your great-great-great-great-grandfather? Okay. Three of you have, all right? We know there's three people into genealogies, all right? Know what I found? My my brothers were getting into genealogies, and I'm not much one for genealogies, okay? I follow after my grandfather. He wasn't much into genealogies. My grandfather, I was telling Andrew the other day, my grandfather put a mark on every chapter he read when he read the Bible. When he came to the genealogies, there were no marks on those chapters. (laughs) 
what I'm illustrating is you can etch your name in marble. There's going to come a day when no one's going to put flowers on your grave and no one's going to remember, and your name means nothing. But God names means everything. And there's going to be a day that the only name that anyone can bow down to is God's name. And those that are persecuted, they're persecuted for doing what is right, and they're persecuted for doing it for his name. John Rogers was burned alive in 1555 because of his faith in Christ. His children accompanied him to the place of execution, and they called out encouragements to him through their tears. They called out and urged their father to be strong and not turn back and to not dishonor Christ. That man did a superb job of educating his children on what mattered. It wasn't about his name. They urged him, do not dishonor Christ. Continue faithful. He was burned at the stake. The result of living these two principles, a commitment to do what is right and to live for God's name, the result of those two principles are two things, persecution and blessing. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why can we rejoice in persecution? I mean, honestly, we're, we're kind of built with a, a desire to, to have things that protect us and that things go well. Um, probably many of us here today have, have thanked God this last week. Thank you for the protection that you gave us. Persecution goes completely contrary to that. Why can we rejoice in persecution? There's several reasons we just want to list today four. Number one, it shows we are becoming like Christ. When it is for doing what is right and for his name's sake, it shows that, Jesus said, a servant is no different than his master. In John 14, in John 17 and verse 14, he said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The world hated them as it hated Christ, so they will hate the child of God. The world hates believers because they are not of the world. They are not of the world system. The wicked hate the holy image of God and those who bear it. Romans trumped up false charges against Christians. They slandered them as cannibals. 
They slandered them for immorality. They accused them of having love feasts. They slandered them for setting fires because they said they were always talking about the judgment of God and that God judged by fire. So if there was a fire started somewhere, immediately they would say the Christians did this. They accused them of revolution and and accused them, actually accused them of burning down Rome. That it was the Christians that did this. They accused them of destroying families. They accused them of political and religious rebellion. Why? Because the wicked hate the image of God and those that bear it. They accuse Christians. Think of it in our terms today. These are what they accuse them of. Of bigotry, spiritual pride, and hypocrisy, among other things. What are terms that are used when you take a biblical stand, doing what is right with the right spirit for God's name? You're a bigot, you're a hate monger, you're breaking up families, you are undermining the structure of our society, you are a blight to society. You're going to be hearing more and more of that. But it shows that there is a hatred for Christ to begin with. And if you bear the image of Christ and become more like him, that will be manifested. So we can rejoice in persecution because there is an evidence that we are becoming like Christ. Number two, it shows there is conviction. If you go out to a feedlot and there's a herd of swine and you pick up a rock and you throw it into the herd of swine, the one that squeals is the one that got hit, right? It's pretty simple logic. When there is doing what is right, it brings conviction to those that don't do what is right. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Notice what it says. Everyone that does evil hates the light. Why? Because the light exposes. If everybody at work cheats, no problem. But let someone come along that doesn't, and then there is a problem. They don't like that because that makes me look bad. 
It brings conviction. Doing right shows that there is a standard. No, this is the way it ought to be done. This is the standard. Until a standard is made, everything is acceptable. There's no difference. But when right is established, then it shows this is right and this is wrong. And that brings conviction. So that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we read that they didn't like the preaching of Paul and the apostles. And they would revile them and speak evil of them. They said they were cannibals. Why they said that is because they partook of the Lord's Supper. They said that they are eating the body of Christ. That's, without getting into it, that's why it is imperative that you understand it is symbolic of his body that was broken for us. We're not crucifying Christ again every time we observe the Lord's Supper. It doesn't become the body of Christ. It doesn't become the blood of Christ. And anything that they could take, they preached about the judgment of God, and God judges by fire. So if there was a fire started, they, as we said, they'd accuse them of that. They accused them. Here's a person that was in a family, came to know Christ as Savior, They loved God more than their family. Their family didn't um, want to follow God. So they said, no, we disown you. They're breaking up families. They're disrupting our nation and so on. But there was a standard set. And it brought conviction. We can rejoice in persecution because it is a threat to Satan's kingdom. The bottom line of everything is, is spiritual warfare. Satan's strategy is to intimidate, to unnerve believers through pressures and persecutions so that we fail to stand for Christ. The things that are going on in our world today, in our nation today, are empowered by demonically controlled individuals who despise God and anyone that calls his name. This is not just human warfare. This is, uh, terrorism began with Satan himself. He terrorizes mankind. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he intimidates. And everything of Christ is a threat to Satan's kingdom. More Muslims have come to Christ in the last 25 years than in all of history. Do you think that makes Satan happy? Absolutely not. He knows that his time is short and he is unleashing um, the powers that, that are demonically influenced and and are bringing havoc in our world today, but at the same time, God is using it to bring many to salvation. And God says, 
When you are reviled, when they falsely accuse you, realize this, that you're bringing damage to their cause. We say, we have been blessed. We have not endured persecution in our land to the extreme that many other nations have. Maybe we need to ask, are we even a threat to Satan? But the fact of the matter is, we are seeing a movement away from the ways of Christ that will see the Christian way as public enemy number one. And we must have in our minds a doctrine that we mentioned in Sunday school, an understanding of suffering and an understanding of persecution. That, you know what, by doing what is right, not everyone will rejoice in it. But we must do what is right. And it will bring rewards. In Matthew chapter 5, he mentions the fact that it will bring reward. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 18, he said, Rejoice, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glories of the future. In 1 Corinthians 4, our light affliction, light affliction, Paul is writing, he's been stoned and drug out of the city, they thought he was dead, he's been beaten, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd... He'd experienced it all, and he says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is not worthy to be compared to the exceeding glory which it will produce. The famous Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as he left his prison on the way to the gallows in 1945, He said to Payne Best, This is the end for me, but for me it is the beginning of life. Ten years later, the camp doctor wrote, I was at the place of execution. Bonhoeffer said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. The doctor wrote, In almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. I remember visiting with Natasha Vins, whose father was imprisoned in the Soviet days. Um, She was underground carrying Bibles to various individuals, continually under the threat and the reality of persecution. And in talking about persecution, 
with serenity in her face, she said, oh, you don't need to fear persecution. Not meaning that it wouldn't come. Meaning she knew the glory of God in the midst of those days as never before. There is a reward both now and for eternity. Jim Elliott, many of you know, is one of the five men that went down to minister among the Aka Indians. And ended up being martyred there. Why would they be martyred? Because the kingdom of darkness had light come into it. And they wanted to extinguish that light as fast as they could. Little did they know that the blood of those martyrs would produce fruit that would bring the kingdom of light to those people as never before. But Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You can't keep your life. There's no way you can keep your life. And if you do what is right for God's name's sake, and it means that That which you cannot keep your life is taken away from you. He said, you are not a fool if you give that which you cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. Well done, thou good and faithful. The point today is we need in our minds to have a mentality that understands, as I said, suffering and understands persecution The point is not, am I going to be persecuted? Will I die for Christ? The point is, will I live for Christ? Right now, where I am, most of us are not bearing any persecution. I mean, there are people that have lost jobs because they're Christians. Um, There are people that uh, have suffered financial losses because they are Christian. There is persecution, but in the in the great sense of um, risking our lives, that isn't happening yet in our nation, for which I'm glad. I'm not I'm not saying bring it on. But the point is we need to have a commitment. God, I am committed to doing what is right. When it is popular and when the Supreme Court is for us and when laws are favorable, but I'm also committed to it when it means it may be prison, it may mean losing a job, it may mean I am committed to two things, God. My life is committed for your glory to do what is right. Heavenly Father, I pray That out of a love for you, we would be committed to living only for your glory. Not for our name, not for any other name, but your name. 
and that we would bring everything down. Is this right? And Lord, I pray if there are individuals here who have never received your righteousness, I pray today that your spirit would draw them to you, that they would call upon you for the forgiveness of sins and be made righteous in you. And then, Lord, I pray for every one of us as believers that we would have an unwavering commitment, regardless of what suffering may come our way, that we would continually bow the knee to you and your ways. Lord, we pray today for those that are bearing the heavy hand of persecution even as we pray. God, would you strengthen their faith? Would you give them encouragement? Would you give them an unwavering dependence upon you that they would remain faithful to you? And would you use the power of their testimony to break down the barriers of others and bring them to salvation as well? Lord, thank you that although Satan may bring all his forces, you are far greater and that you have already won the victory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.